this noting of the cessation or the ending. So try to do this continuously, just in little ways. Just the noting, the noticing of the ending of things, how things end. Pay attention, make that an emphasis of, to pay special attention. Just with the inhalation, or the, the breathing, the exhalation. Noticing the beginning and ending of the inhalation, the beginning and ending of the exhalation, and with maybe special emphasis on the endings, the death, the cessation, the finale. So that in your daily life, you, you're, you're, you're opening to that noticing that which before you would overlook, unless maybe it was some, some rather very dramatic ending. But just the ordinary endings, the endings that no one ever pays attention to or sees as such, that, over, that are overlooked, not noticed. We notice. Now I've found this this way of practice very useful because it's it's a way of living life and noticing the flow of a changing nature of the conditioned realm as one's living daily life. In uh, when I go to California, the Jamie Barras and the Vipassana people are all into these very powerful three-month retreats and and they. Burmese method of meditation where the um, emphasis on noting things, naming things, uh, and then the cessation experience is, is very strong. People are aimed to get this super duper, absolutely fantastic cessation where the elements all just kind of really seem to disappear and uh, the body dissolves into just atoms and so this is this is the this is the the grand uh, this is what like Jamie told me everybody's trying to realize and get something on a big scale or something that is from a supercharged concentrated state refinement of consciousness but because uh, they're aiming at something so that takes so much support and concentration and special conditions, then even those that do have it sometimes doesn't really, you know, it's, if you don't have the right attitude or the, if you, you know, if you've, if you've not learned to see this, the natural order and cessation of things in daily life, it doesn't, doesn't really apply carry over into ordinariness of living.
to me the Buddha was pointing to the ordinary, not to the to the special, not to the highly developed concentrated states, but just to the just to the reflective capacity of the mind to notice the way things are and in ordinary life. Like the uh, at Wat Bapong, the first year that I practiced on my own, I could get into these highly uh, developed concentrated states, which were really enjoyed. And going to Wat Bapong, um, because of the way of life, the emphasis on the Vinaya and the Bindabhata, uh, one was always, you always had to go out on the Bindabhata every morning and do the morning chanting, evening chanting. So Bindabhata was, and if you were young and healthy, then you expected to go on these, and, and a junior monk, then you expected to go on very long Bindabhatas. They had shorter ones that the old, old feeble monks could go on, and if you were vigorous and, and that, you expected to go on these long, long ones. In those days I was very vigorous. So I was always going on these long, long arms rounds and coming back and you're tired and and then the meal and so forth. So just the, so much of the day is taken up with daily life uh, routine of, of uh, and, and then in the afternoon we all had chores to do. Uh, and so that the kind of ability to stay in a concentrated state through sensory deprivation was was not so was not possible under those conditions. So uh, one evening I got fed up with all this. I went to him and I said, "I can't meditate here," and he started laughing at me, started telling everyone that Tomato can't meditate here because I was seeing the meditation as as this very special experience that I'd had and it quite enjoyed. And, and then uh, Lumpur Cha was obviously pointing to the ordinariness of life. The Bindabhata, the getting up, the, the, the routine work, the chores, the whole thing was, was for mindfulness. And he didn't seem at all eager to support me in my desires to have a real strong sensory deprivation experience by deny, not having to do all these uh, little daily tasks. Uh, he didn't seem to go along with that. Though I had ended up having to, to conform and learn to meditate in the ordinariness of daily life. And in the long run, that has been the most uh, helpful, not always the most not always what I wanted, because one wants the special, one would like the fantastic, and then one would love to have blazing lights and 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 uh, marvelous insights in in technicolor and have just have uh, incredible bliss and ecstasy and rapture, not just the kind of rapture Chandasiri has, but super duper rapture. <laughs> Absolutely fantastic rapture. Not be just happy and calm, but over the moon.
But reflecting on on life is in this human form, what is it that it's it's just like this, just being able to sit peacefully and get up peacefully and, and be content with, with what you have and that makes our life, say, as a daily experience something that is joyful and and non and not suffering. And this is how most of our life can be lived. You can't live in, in ecstatic states of rapture and bliss and uh, do the dishes, can you? Or sew the robe, or, or sweep the ground, or repair the kuti. I used to read about the lives of saints that were so caught up in ecstasies they couldn't do anything absolutely useless on any practical <laughs> even though the, the, the blood would flow from their palms and they could do these feet that everybody the faithful would rush to look at when it came to anything practical or realistic they're quite incapable and yet when you contemplate the vinya it's all the vinya discipline itself is a is a is is a training in being mindful of making robes and collecting alms food, eating your food, taking care of your kuti, patching up your robes, uh, how, what to do in uh, this situation or that situation. All very practical advice about a daily life, uh, about the life. Uh, of a, of a bhikkhu, of a Buddhist monk, an ordinary day in the life of bhikkhu Sumato, isn't uh, exploding into rapture, but getting up and going to the toilet and putting on a robe and bathing and doing this, doing that. Just ordinary uh, human experience, mindful of of it while one is living within this form and learning and and awake to the way things are to the dhamma that's why when we when we contemplate cessation we aren't looking for the end of the universal system waiting for for the some grand kind of finale to take place But just the the way things cease in in the way the just the exhalation or the end of a day or end of a thought or end of a feeling. To notice that means we have to pay attention to the to the flow of life, don't we? We have to really notice the way it is, not wait for some kind of fantastic uh, uh, lightning experience, some kind of marvelous uh, kind of light kind of descending on us and zapping us. <coughs> but just the, the, the flow of life in its most ordinary forms, experiences.
Now just contemplating the breath, the breathing, the ordinary breathing of your body. You notice if you're filling your 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 lungs with air, you're inhaling. In other words, that's a sense of that's I find that very easy to concentrate on the inhalation. Where you're you're filling your body up, your lungs, and you're kind of expanding, and you're feeling you're having this sense of growth and development and strength. When you say somebody's puffed up, they're probably inhaling. You know, if you think you're you're a puffed up person, somebody who's who's uh, thinks they're very important, very arrogant, it's usually the inhalation that does it, doesn't it? You can't, it's hard to feel puffed up when you're exhaling. You kind of expand your chest and you have a sense of being somebody big and full and powerful. The exhalation doesn't, isn't, isn't it's, it just makes, if you pay it, stop, at least when I first started paying attention to exhaling, it was, my mind would wander very quickly from there. Where I could concentrate my mind very easily on an inhalation. Exhalation tended to wander away in the thought. So then, <clears throat> also, ex- exhaling didn't seem as important or as interesting. You were just doing it so you could get on to the next inhalation. And if you, like, if you, if you, in, in, you inhale, and you hold your breath, you have this sense of power, don't you? This sense of, 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 real, of having a powerful, being a powerful person. But if you exhale and then hold your breath on an exhalation, you almost feel panic-stricken, don't you? Because uh, there's a fear that you might not be able to breathe again. Not the same, not the same feeling when you've exhaled and holding it, than when you're inhaling, when you've inhaled and, and, and are holding the breath. These are just reflect, noticing how things are, and just something basic and simple as this ordinary breathing of a human body, your body, your breath. I remember when I was a child, I used to, I was asthmatic and I uh, used to have these terrible attacks where I could hardly breathe. And there's this horrible panic that would take over when you can't breathe. It's really emotionally the most horrible kind of panicked feeling that you're not going to be able to breathe again. You know, gasping and gasping for trying to, to draw in the air. It's the... Breathing is, one can observe breathing. So one is not the breath, isn't it? What is it that, that can watch? What is it that observes and knows the inhalation, the exhalation? That's not the breathing, is it? Then the panic that comes if you, can't, if you want to catch a breath and you can't or something goes off with your breathing, 
That's not, you can observe that too. That's an emotional reaction to not being, to not breathing normally. But the observer, that which knows is not an emotion, not panic-stricken, is not an exhalation, is not an inhalation. So in, in our refuge in Buddha, then that is being that, that knowing, being the witness rather than the emotion or the breath or the body, reflecting like this, more and more you, you begin to, to feel a confidence in, in witnessing the way things are rather than being caught up into the conditions and the reactions, emotional reactions to the, condition, to the quality of the conditions and their power. With the uh, sound of silence, the nada sound, that is to to play. Now that doesn't have. That seems some people hear fair kind of fluctuations of sound or whatever, but it is a kind of continuous background sound. So you 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 contemplate it. You notice that. What do you, can you hear it if you put your fingers in your ears? Or if you're in a swimming pool or bathtub when you're underwater? Or can you, can you hear it when you're, when you're in, in a place where they're using a chainsaw? Or when you're doing exercises? Or when you're sitting? Or... If you're in a terrible, if you're in a fraught emotional state, if you're really angry or greedy or upset, or so you you you're using this as uh, something to remember to turn to and notice, because it's always present here and now. And there's that which notices, isn't it? That which knows. There's the knowing of it, the recognizing it, realizing it, but not to make anything out of it. What do you? What do you, the desire of of the mind to call it something, to have it, have a name for it, or have it listed in a li- or as some kind of attainment, or to project onto it something? Notice that the the tendency of wanting to make it into the, the, the cosmic sound. Or somebody said, it's probably just the sound of your blood circulating in your ears. Or maybe it's the, it's, it's the, meth, it's the divine, the bridge to the divine. There, that, that theory, uh, that it's the bridge to the divine. That sounds nice, rather than the blood in your ears, isn't it? And <laughs> the cosmic, the sound of the cosmos. 
Or it might be just you've got ear disease. <laughs> Tinnitus and whatever. But it doesn't have to be anything. It's, it's what it is. It's as that. It's just like that. And you can, you're, you're, you can see any, te- any tendency to want to make something out of it. Is it uh, the, the, the bridge to the divinity, to the divine? The crystal stra- the thread that comes from the heavenly realms into our minds that joins us to the divine. That's poetic, beautiful images. Or you can, you can just dismiss it as of no importance because it's not even listed in the, in the Tripitaka. Not even Buddhist. <laughs> but whatever it is, it, it, it can be used as, as a reflection. Because when you're with that, when there's a realization of that, then then the mind is there's there's no sense of self. There's, there's mindfulness. There's ability to reflect. So it's more like a, 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 a like like a like a straight edge or something you can go to to keep you from going all wobbly. Something you can always, once you develop and, and know it, then it's quite, it's something that you can use in daily life when you're putting on your robes, when you're uh, brushing your teeth, when you're closing the door, when you're coming into the meditation hall, when you're sitting down. just something to use skillfully for composing yourself. Not just to, to come, not to be caught in just the, the blind habitual tendencies. So much of daily life is just habitual, isn't it? Because you're always aiming at the important things of life. Like this, the meditation. This is the hour to, to go to the hall and meditate. So, how you get to walking from your where you live to this room can be a totally heedless experience. Just a habit. Clump, 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 slam, bang. And then you sit here for an hour trying to be mindful. Now this this way you you can you, you you begin to see a way of of being mindful of bringing mindfulness to the ordinary routine experiences of life waiting 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 I have this nice little picture in my room that I'm very fond of, of this old man with a, with a coffee mug in his hand looking out a window into a kind of English garden with the rain coming down. This old man, 
in this coffee mug. And the, and the title of the picture is called Waiting. I think of that, what I think of myself, old man, just with my coffee mug sitting there at the window, waiting, waiting. <laughs> watching the rain or the sun or whatever. And I don't find that a depressing. It's not, not like a, a morbid or depressing uh, image for me, but it's a peaceful one. Just the, just the, the waiting that, that this life is. It's a waiting, isn't it? We're waiting all the time. This experience of waiting. And so we, we notice that. We can... We're, we're not waiting for anything, but we can just be waiting. And then we respond to the, to the things of life, the, the time of day, the, the duties, the, the way things move and change, the society we're in. The response then isn't from just the force of habit or greed, hatred, and delusion, but it's a response to wisdom and mindfulness. Now, how many of you feel you have a mission in life to perform? There's some something you've got to do, and something you've got to some kind of important task, some work that you that's been assigned to you by God or fate. Or <laughs> now, that often people get caught up in that, in, that, uh, in that view of being somebody who has a mission, rather than somebody waiting, or just there's just the waiting rather than somebody. It's just the way things are. The body grows up, gets old and dies, and, the, and it breathes, it's conscious. We do good, we, we practice, we live within the moral precepts, we do good, we're generous. Uh, we respond to the needs and, and experiences of life with sati and banya. But there's nobody that has to do anything. There's nobody with a mission, nobody special. We're not making a person or a saint or an avatar or a or a tolku, or a Rinpoche, or a, or a Messiah, or a Maitreya. Or even the thing, you know, I'm just a nobody. Even being a nobody is somebody in this life, isn't it? You can be just as proud of, your, of being nobody as of being somebody. And just as deluded and just as attached. Uh, to be nobody. But whatever you happen to believe, that you're nobody or you're somebody, or you have a mission, or, or you're, you're a nuisance and a burden to the world, or whatever you might view yourself, 
then the the knowing is is there to see that as to see the cessation of of such a view. Views arise and cease, don't they? You notice the cessation. I'm somebody. I'm an important uh, person who has a mission in life, and so that that arises and ceases in the mind. You notice the ending of of being somebody important or being nobody or whatever. There's it all ceases, doesn't it? It's a it's the it's what arises ceases and the feelings that go along with it. Everything that arises ceases. So there's a non-grasping, non-grasping the view of being somebody with a mission or somebody that's nobody. There's a, it's, the, it's the end of that whole mass of suffering, of having to do something, go somewhere, develop something, become somebody, change something, set everything right, or get rid of all your defilements, or save the world, save all sentient beings. Even the best ideals, best thoughts are seen as dhammas that arise and cease in the mind. Now then, you might think this is a barren philosophy of life because there's a lot more kind of, isn't there, heart and feeling to being somebody who's going to save all sentient beings. It's my duty to be compassionate and loving and caring to all the poor, to go to the leper colony and, and kiss the sores of the lepers. to go and become Mother Teresa of London or some other place, we could go some place like Bangkok, Klong Dui, become a, one of those saintly monks in the, in the hovels of Klong Dui in Bangkok. A mission in life to perform So these these are the kind of inspired inspirations, aren't they, to our minds? The people of self-sacrifice and have missions and and help others and have something important to do. This is inspiration. But notice that that in Dhamma we're looking at the limitations of inspiration and the cessation of it. So that there's your there's the Dhamma rather than somebody who has to become something or has to do something. That whole illusion is relinquished. And what remains is a purity of mind. The purity. The seeing clearly. So then the response comes, the response to experience within a lifetime is from wisdom and purity rather than from personal conviction, mission, a sense of self, a sense of other, 
uh, and all the complications that come from that whole pattern, that whole view, that whole delusion. Can you trust that? Can you trust in, in just letting everything go and cease and not being anybody and not having any mission, not having to become anything? Can you really trust in that or do you find that frightening or barren or depressing? Because maybe you, you really want inspiration. Tell me everything is all right. Tell me you love me. I'm doing it, am I doing what I'm doing? Is it right? And uh, Buddhism is, it, it, it's not just a, a, a selfish religion where you get enlightened, but tell me that Buddhism is, is that we're here to save all sentient beings. Is that what you're going to do, Venerable Sumato? Are you really Mahayana or Hinayana? Uh, but what I'm pointing to is what what inspiration is as, a, as an experience. Idealism. Not, not trying to dismiss it or, 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 or judge it in any way, but to reflect on it, to know exactly what that is in your mind and how easily we can be deluded by our own ideas and high-minded views and how insensitive, cruel and unkind we can be with all our, with, by the attachments we have to views about being kind and sensitive. So this is where it, 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 it's, a, it's a real investigation, uh, looking into Dhamma that we're doing. At least that's what I'm encouraging you to do. Whether you're doing it or not, it's up to only you know. I remember in in, uh, in my own experience, I always had the view that I was somebody special in a way, at the same time feeling totally ordinary. But I used to think, well, you know, I must be a special person because I'm, you know, always felt this interest in Asia. And uh, way back when I was a child, I was fascinated by Asia and then when I, as soon as I could, I studied Chinese in university, and I mm, whole I have a must have been a reincarnation of some somebody you know who was obviously connected to the Orient, and uh, and I could see in this tendency of mind to to build a, a sense of being somebody that has that is has some kind of special special person. And uh, and uh, and then I ha I can I can uh, have a lot of uh, of uh, even memories and 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 views that support that, and people are quite willing to believe it, aren't you? You <laughs> always find a following that wants somebody special to belong to the the cult where there's somebody special. You don't want to belong to to a group where the where there isn't anything special about it. If if you know, you get a, a tulku or an avatar or a 
Dalai Lama, all these things add a bit of class to our daily lives. We think the Dalai Lama is coming. That sounds different than just Joe Blow, doesn't it? But this is a reflection, not a, 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 no matter how many signs of being special or, or previous lives you can remember or, or voices from God or messages from the cosmos, whatever. Fair enough not to, de- not to, uh, to deny or say that those things aren't real, but they are what they are, aren't they? They're impermanent. They're nicha dukkanata. We're reflecting on them as they really are, that what arises ceases. A message from God is something that comes and, and ceases in your mind, isn't it? You don't have a continuous, God isn't always talking to you continuously, unless you want to consider the sound of silence, the voice of God, then it doesn't really say anything, does it? <laughs> so whatever, we can call it anything. We call it the voice of God or the divine or the ringing of the cosmos or blood in your eardrums. But whatever it is, it's, it can be used for mindfulness and reflection. That's what, what I'm pointing to, is how to use these things without making them into something, or having to, to kind of jazz them up, or make a lot out of anything that's happening, but to see and notice the way, the way it is, as, as we reflect on the three characteristics of existence, anicca, dukkha, nata. Then the missions we have are then responses, not our responses to uh, the experiences that we that we have in our lives they're not personal anymore it's no longer me Sumato Bhikkhu with a mission as if as if I'm specially chosen from above more so than any of you it's not that anymore that whole way of that whole manner of thinking and, and uh, perceiving is relinquished and whether if I do save the world and save thousands or millions of beings and help the poor and Klong Dui and, and, and help all the lepers uh, and, they, and do all kinds of good work, it's not from a delusion of being a person anymore. It's a response, a natural response from wisdom rather than a deluded person who has a mission to perform, trying to do something. And this I trust. This is a, this is what sada is. is a faith in in this Buddhist word sata. It's a real trust and confidence in dhamma. In just waiting and being nobody, not becoming anything but being able to just wait and to respond. And if there's nothing 
nothing much to respond to, then is, is waiting. Coffee cup, watching the rain, the sunset, the getting old, watching, just witnessing the aging process, the comings and goings in the monastery, the ordinations and the disrobings, the inspirations and the depressions, the highs and the lows, the way things change inside your mind, outside in the world, and the response. Because, because when, we're, when we have vigor and intelligence, and talent and all that, then the then life always comes to us with asking us to respond to it in some skillful and compassionate way, which we are very willing and eager to do. Isn't it? I really like to help people. Lepers, I, w I wouldn't mind going to a leper colony. If, a leper, if there's a Buddhist leper colony, they said, Venerable Sumato, I'd be glad to. I don't, I, don't want, I don't feel I'd have to kiss their leprous sores. <laughs> if, it, if it would help, maybe I would, but I can't see it as being of any great help. But the... Uh, or working in, in the shanty towns of Klongdui or Calcutta or whatever, no objection. I've always had uh, those kind of things rather uh, appealing to my sense of nobility. But it's, it's not a mission. It's not me having to do anything. It's, a, it's trusting in the Dhamma so that the response to life is appropriate and clear and a, and a benefit because it's not coming from me as a person and, and the delusions, the ignorance of avicca, bhajaya, sankara. So I can watch any kind of eagerness of what, what is my mission in life? I've got to do something. I can't just sit here watching my breath. I've got to do something. The restlessness, the compulsiveness, the 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 uh, obsession, obsessiveness of the mind, one observes and lets it go, lets it cease. Then operating from just agitation and restlessness and obsessive tendencies, we let that cease, let it go. It ceases. 